This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Envy, the 100% Canadian-made mattress that is firmly ensconcing my sleeping toddler right now, so let's hurry. Envy was founded because a great sleep service is essential to our well-being, and Canadians deserve a company that gets it just right. There are no gimmicks, games, or hidden fees, just one perfectly designed mattress. Go to envy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Envy mattress. That's O-P-P-O. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by The New Yorker. Wait, what? Wait, really? What? Oh, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> when did we get classy? Scoobity bop bop bop. That's jazz. Listeners of Oppo can get 12 weeks for just six bucks. It's normally 12 bucks, plus a New Yorker tote bag that will tell everyone in school that you're the smartest person around. You get home delivery of the print edition each week, unlimited access to newyorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site only stories every day, and access to their apps, online archive, crossword puzzles, and so much more. Get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 plus the exclusive tote. Go to newyorker.com slash oppo. Listeners save 50% when they enter the promo code oppo. From Canada land, this is oppo. I'm Jen Gerson. And I'm Justin Ling. On this week's show, we drag out what the oldums call rabbit ears and turn on the old television to watch the best ads our political parties can come up with. And then we talk about the green wave sweeping over Canada. Eh, really? Green wave, is it? Is it, though? Uh, green tornado? Yeah. Thunderstorm? Like, it's more like a lucky bunch of crocuses after the spring rains. We'll go with green drizzle and we'll just leave it there. Ah, fine. Then Justin explains why anyone should give any shits about the recent election in Newfoundland and Labrador. All that and literally nothing else after this message from our sponsor. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Endy, my favorite mattress company. And yes, I have a favorite mattress company. All of the materials and manufacturing used to make the Endy mattress are sourced within Canada. By keeping manufacturing local, Endy can avoid duties, currency exchanges, and international shipping. Never mind whatever mattress tariff the president might slap on us tomorrow. That means prices are as fair as possible for their Canadian customers. Endy's quality is second to none, and its pricing is even better. With a smaller price tag than the competitors, their mattresses cost between $675 and $950 Canadian dollars. That means even the largest mattress, a California King, costs less than a thousand bucks. You simply can't find that quality to price ratio anywhere else. When mattresses are returned, which doesn't happen all that often, Andy works with local charities and furniture banks to donate the new and gently used mattresses to Canadians in need so they can also get a good night's sleep. Go to andy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for 50 bucks off any Andy mattress. So, Jen, just when you thought it was safe to come out of your bedroom, it's election season again. No, it was just that that just happened. I swear <laughs> to God that just happened five minutes and ago. You know what that means? It means hours and hours of cloying pontifications beamed into your brain in the middle of your Game of Thrones finale or interrupting your YouTube binge watching of incomprehensible UK panel shows. Oh, God, no. Fortunately, I'm breeding and get to, like, absent myself during the worst of this. No, I'm going to make you watch them. And that's what this segment is, Jen. Me forcing you to watch election ads with me and we're gonna rate them so that'll be fun right we're really getting me ahead on the postpartum depression scale aren't we 
that's perfect. Let's let's set me right up. That's so set me tough. right up to succeed. So there's not that many ads out yet, but both the Liberals, Conservatives, and NDP have released a couple of kind of pre-writ election advertisements, and I can tell you. They're not great. Some of them are better than others. The first ad is this liberal radio ad, and it like all of their ads is climate change themed. So it gives you a nice little preview of what we can expect in this campaign. All right, let's let's hit play. I'm Justin Trudeau. Climate change is a real and serious oh. problem. We have a strong plan to fight it, one that leading scientists <laughs> and economists like support. The photo here is just him walking through a forest with a guy in shorts. So you know he's serious. He's like Park Ranger. Park Ranger. Territory where it was raised. Now some politicians wait. Stephen Harper's lurking. In the forest. Oh no, no, the Harper years. Our kids are counting. I like the free pollution. I feel like any ad that mentions our kids, I want to turn it off immediately. I don't give a shit about your kids, especially not yours, Jen. Yeah, that's fair enough. Here's the thing. I don't think this ad is terrible. It's just that it seems like the liberals are going into the next election with one major messaging plank, and that's yeah. climate change, climate change, climate change. And to be perfectly blunt, I think doubling down on that at this point is suicidal. I think if that's your main number one top line message, you're going to get creamed. Agreed. And, and it's not even that the liberals are bad on that file. They actually have a lot of credibility when it comes totally, to the environment. Totally, they do. The problem is that you're pushing voters into other parties. I mean, when you kind of set it up as either you vote for me or Andrew Scheer's going to be prime minister, or he's going to shoot every polar bear in the country. I, I don't think people will respond well to threats. People will be like, yeah, OK, we can lose the polar bears. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think the more you run these ads, the more people end up voting green. I mean, if your whole sell is climate change is the most pressing problem and we need to be freaked out about it, which is an entirely legitimate point of view. I don't understand why people would vote liberal. I mean, especially when you're hearing, you know, Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May saying, hey, the Liberal Party's CO2 emissions targets are not that great. Uh, their carbon tax doesn't do enough, and they're not investing in green energy aggressively enough. Never mind their continued support for the oil industry. I think people go, oh, yeah, climate change is a serious problem. That's why I'm not going to vote Liberal this time. Actually, the Liberals do have, on the whole, a fairly good strategy for dealing with climate change that takes a lot of different factors that I'm really happy to see them take into consideration. But the problem is that climate change is one of those issues that people say they care about when they're getting asked by pollsters because they know they're supposed to say they care about it. But when they actually rank the issues that are most pressing to them in a day-to-day -day way, it's still the basic stuff. It's still the economy. It's still my job. It's still housing and affordability. It's still healthcare. It's still education, right? So like it, it's, it's actually one of those issues that people know they're supposed to care more about than they actually do. We actually have seen uh, some voters rank climate change as the number one issue. That was the number one issue in the PEI election. I think climate change resonates certain places much more aggressively than others. And it's not quite the spots that we usually think it is. I mean, yes, it'll play well in British Columbia. That's a given. Yes, you'll do well in Montreal and in parts of Toronto. If you talk much about climate change, that's a given. But what you're seeing is actually a lot of smaller cities. Guelph, uh, you know, elected their first green politician uh, and Mike Schreiner. Uh, and Atlantic Canada, you know, is actually very much kind of turning to this idea that climate change is a pressing issue, and if not the most pressing issue, because in, you know, 30 years, parts of coastal cities are going to be underwater. So actually, the liberals need to uh, shore up their support throughout rural Ontario and in Atlantic Canada. And I think actually uh, ads like this might go a little ways to doing that. But again, I think it's going to end up flipping voters. So first liberal ad, I'll give it like one climate emergency out of six. I will give it two park rangers in shorts <laughs> and like socks sandals out of five. Okay, that's, that's generous. Okay, so obviously the conservatives are mining a very tapped well and doing one of their streeter ads, which I find just, I, as soon as I said to start playing, I just had a panic attack because I hate these ads so much. Trudeau, 
Come on. He said he'd balance the <laughs> I also just love it. Trudeau, come on. We also get the uh, the great sort of a fuzzy screen thing happening. <laughs> it's true. Which, by the way, is fuzzy screen even a thing that TVs do anymore? No. No. All the shots look old timey, like Trudeau is in in some kind of uh, Orwellian broadcast. Touch with reality. I feel betrayed. I'm going to trust anything he says now. Justin Trudeau. <laughs> really, He's I feel not betrayed. As advertised. Not as advertised. I don't. I don't get that. I feel so betrayed. I, I love all this because they're not actually responding to anything in particular. It's, I'm. I'm so betrayed. He hurt me. Like, what did he do? I find Streeter ads to be particularly obnoxious and terrible, but that's because as a journalist, I've had to do too many Streeter stories, oh, God, and I'm yeah. mildly traumatized. I've learned that the best way to get a Streeter to talk to you is to like get them in a food court of a mall, because that way oh, they're sitting down with food in front of them, and they can't say no or move away from you. There's a free tip there to any uh, like journalism students out there. I just think we really need to stop hiring actors to pretend to be concerned citizens, because it is it's just not selling it. Okay, first Tory ad. So many streeters. I, I give it like one streeter out of 10. I do not like this ad. Every time I see an actor talking about any federal leader on TV, I, I just I just want to turn it off. I feel like I have to give it five random streeters out of 10, just by virtue of the fact that I think it, it hits on narratives that people are feeling and talking about. But I can't give it any more because it's a streeter ad. I genuinely wonder if any of the Tory ads over the next little while will feature Andrew Shear. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting point. They did the intro, like, meet Andrew Shear ads, uh, what, uh, probably like six months ago now, and they didn't do very well. I don't think people like him that much. I don't know if it's they like him or not like him. I just sort of think that he's blah. He's the milk carton candidate, right? Like, that's, he's fine. He seems fine. But I wonder. I do wonder as the liberals start painting him as an extremist, whether we're going to see more of him or less. But this is why I think that that, that particular attack ad strategy. Firstly, attack ads are, are effective. Attack ads fucking yeah. work. That's why they're used. But this is why I think painting Andrew Shear as some kind of uh, hardcore extremist, playing footsie with the Nazis, and you know wants to take away your abortion rights, it doesn't really work because it just. I don't think that that actually connects in the way that some of the Tory attack ads against Trudeau connect. Speaking of ads that don't connect, let's watch the first NDP ad. Oh, God, this is this is bad. This is so bad. All right, All right are you ready? So this is their own little sort of meet Jagmeet Singh tour. So Okay, firstly, it's it's Jagmeet Singh standing, staring directly into the camera against a boring gray oh, yeah. backdrop. They had to give him a lower third to let you know that he's leader of Canada's NDP. Yeah, in that's case who you he didn't is, know. in case you didn't know, and you probably didn't. Time and time again, governments in Ottawa are making choices that hurt families. Families must choose between competing necessities. I like the pink turban, though. It's a nice look. No, it's a good good turban. You got some color in there. And now we have stock imagery. Stock Clouds imagery. going by. People staring at bills. People staring. They look Someone great. at a library. Guy in a hard hat. imagery. Oh, oh, too close. <laughs> and the camera's moving around the like the cameraman's a little around. drunk. Okay, this is the point at which I have to stop this ad because I'm so bored. So bored. I can't watch the rest of it. Like, I'm just like, it feels like this ad has already gone on for two minutes and we're only at 22 seconds. And my attention keeps going. There's, there's some good stuff in here. I mean, you know, big corporations are getting your hard-earned money. There's a shot of him talking to people in the rain. Oh, it's so generic and dull. It just Having coffee. Oh, are you going to make me watch the rest of this boring a, ad? A bunch of lemons. Him with his blazer off. On your side. I will say, I think this ad is probably the most effective thing I've seen that convinces me that Jagmeet Singh actually looks like a leader. Because most of the time when I see him, I think, 
I don't. You don't seem confident in what you're doing. You rarely know what you're saying. I find most of his speeches to be kind of meandering. This ad actually, I think, is boring. It's so boring as it is. I actually look at it and go, oh. Yeah, I could see it. I can. I actually now can see him on a debate stage. I mean, we'll see if that continues for you know the rest of the campaign. But that ad is good. Sorry, what did you just say? I just, I literally just was staring at the wall for the last forty seconds. <laughs> I saw the dead look behind your eyes. It's a pretty bad ad. It's completely uncompelling. I'm giving this NDP ad. Uh, let's say like one orange crush can out of three. That's a pretty lo- your man by going by the three orange crush can standard. You really are lowering the bar. Like, can Maybe we go two, with a no, ten? No, no, I'll give, it, I'll give it two orange crush cans out of three. No, we're not. You can't go like a three <laughs> point standard. That's ridiculous. I can make my at scale whatever five. the fuck I want, Jen. Make that make that scale at least five. I give it two. <laughs> You've convinced me to up it to a two. <laughs> okay, so this liberal ad's like a minute long. Ugh, we're I, not going to make you sit through. Oh uh, God, I, I I can't sit through a full minute of this. It's just, it's just so, Justin Trudeau, and it's shot terribly. Like, even from the first frame, like, uh, it's like, yeah, the lighting is off. Like you're getting you're getting basically half of his face lit inappropriately, which means you've lost your number one asset, which is the fact that he's good looking. <laughs> That's gone. Yeah, he looks puffy. He looks puffy. His, ha- his hair isn't as good. And at the middle of winter, and it looks like it's like construction season in winter in Montreal. It's just so like, that's that, that's one of the new stations in Ottawa, one of the new metro stations. Oh, in Ottawa. even better. That's great. So a, a station under construction in winter in Ottawa. This is not an inspiring <laughs> setting All for right, me. Let's hit play. In 2015, we made you a promise. Oh my God, the, the music in the. I I have to turn this down. The the dubstep ah! in this ad is just <laughs> is so this, much. Is this dubstep? Is this is this what the young people are referring to with dubstep? Yeah, like four years ago, Jen. <laughs> I don't even. Ah, is, there's so many so jump, many jump cuts. Jarring. Make it stop. Like, like I realize the kids today love the jump <laughs> cuts, but I can't. I can't. It makes my eyes hurt. I feel like this ad was like a forty-five-year-old thinking what young people like. Maybe this is what young people like. I've watched the Patriot Act once on Netflix, and I couldn't get through it. There were so many jump oh, that's cuts. That's true. And then I, I'm 35, and face. I feel like I've aged out of like our current editing techniques. There's just a, also a hard zoom in on his face until it's just uncomfortably close, and then more jump cuts of him jump cut, speaking jump cut, at people. Jump cut. Jump cut. <laughs> I, I can't even focus on what he's saying. I, I think it's mostly about concern. By the end of the ad, there's just someone parked behind him idling in their car, which is <laughs> a pretty bad look. It was mostly about getting Canada working and spending money on infrastructure. It's but, an infrastructure ad. But, like, nothing in the ad told me that. It's mostly him in the House of Commons pointing at people and then him, like, shaking people's hands. And This is this is a, an atmospheric ad. He's trying to present himself still as, like, young and youthful and vibrant and, like, forward-looking person who's building oh, shit. Oh, it's a real mess. I'm going to give this, like, zero idling cars out of 100. I will give it uh, two delayed SNC-Lavalin-related and or Bombardier-related uh, infrastructure and or trains out of five. That is a very complex race. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the this other Tory ad. I'll tell you right off the bat, this is my favorite ad I've seen in a long time. I think it's one of the yeah. best political ads. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it yet, let's hit play. His administration continues to be rocked by chaos and controversy. The fallout continues over the firing of his attorney general and the resignation. It starks with a shot of Trump. In like a looks really like, unflattering pose. It looks like CNN. He, it looks like he's in the middle of saying Gina. Um, the the lower thirds of the administration rocked by scandal. It looks like CNN. You even have a fake scroll. Threatening lawsuits against his critics. Principal secretary forced to resign. And then it's the point. It's the point. No, it's Trudeau. 
Yeah. Not as advertised. It, it zooms out as it's Trudeau and Trump. Oh, we're, we're talking about Trudeau this whole time. This oh is my like God. this is this is a really good example of an effective contrast attack ad, right? So you're trying to get on all the like Trump is is not a popular figure in any section of the country. Like he is his disapproval in Canada is just overwhelming. Even in conservative places like Alberta, like he's not a well-liked figure. So contrasting him with Trudeau and pointing out that like all of these things that you can apply to Donald Trump also apply to Trudeau. And look, I mean, this also plays on polling that has shown that the disapproval for Trudeau is actually higher than it is for Trump. So it's like it's it's a sting. It's a it's a knife right into the gut and then twist, man. Like it's a very good attack ad. And the smartest thing is that I think it takes Trump off the table for Trudeau. I mean, you can't have two parties accusing each other of being Trump. I mean, that it will. I mean, ah, sorry. We can have that. And if we do, and actually, oh, and now that will. I'm saying it, it will happen. And oh, it's going 100%. to be awful. Yes. You're Trump. You're Trump. <laughs> no, you're, you're Trump. Trump. <laughs> you're so Trump. But I think the idea is that they're going to try and inoculate themselves by basically saying, well, we called you Trump first. Yeah. So <laughs> Which, good. I'm going to hate this election so much. I'm going to give this one uh, five Trumps out of five. I think it's, it gets a full Trump. <laughs> I share your views. I give it uh, five comovers out of five. I, had, I want to do a bonus ad because it, it's not a federal ad and it's not even a political. I mean, it is a political ad, but it's paid for by the government of Ontario. Thank you. It is the the ad the Ontario government put out against the carbon tax. And I okay. it's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to watch it. People have been talking about it all week. It's so cute by half. It, it was obviously the work of some civil servant who wanted to sabotage the Ford government. And it's my absolute favorite. Uh, let's hit play. All right, let's go. The federal government is charging you a carbon tax. You're Open up on a gas station. Gas prices are going up. And then nickels just spew out of the gas pump. And then out of your home heating grates. And then out of the oranges for some reason. There's just nickels all over the place. It's like the crows, but with nickels. Holding the biggest polluters accountable. Reducing trash. Smash cut to beautiful field recycling bins. Ocean. I'm pretty sure that's the Great Lake. No, it's an ocean. It's a great lake. Listen, big lakes are oceans. Fight me. <laughs> it's not. Uh, I'm giving it zero nickels out of 8,000 nickels that have uh, started spewing from my taps. <laughs> uh, I will give it one nickel out of five nickels that I've lost in the laundry. This episode of Oppo is also brought to you by our new sponsor, The New Yorker, which I'm really excited about because I think that just makes us smarter by default. The New Yorker represents the best writing in America today. Beyond publishing the best writers in the world, The New Yorker holds people in power accountable through rigorous reporting and compelling storytelling. Some recent articles you may want to check out. Can we live longer but stay younger? The stock market intrudes on the alternate reality of Trump's trade war and the Kentucky Derby as told by the horses. I'll be checking that one out. I'm here for any journalism written by horses. I'm here for any journalism that's written in the voice of animals, because like, I think audiences just eat that shit up. That's great. Listeners of Oppo can get 12 weeks for only $6. That's actually a great deal. It's regularly about 12. Plus, you get a New Yorker tote bag. That will make you feel smart like me. You'll get home delivery of the print edition each week, unlimited access to newyorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every single day, and access to their apps, online archive, crossword puzzles, and more. Get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 plus the exclusive tote. Go to newyorker.com slash oppo. Listeners save 50% off when they enter the promo code oppo. So, uh, Justin, you're a giant Green Party booster and you think that they're going to, like, form the next government, right? Liz made for PM, baby. Woohoo! 
So in case you missed it, Elizabeth May's federal party won the May 6th by-election in Nanaimo Ladysmith on Vancouver Island. And on April 23rd, the Greens captured eight seats in the Prince Edward Island election, which means they now hold the balance of power over the minority progressive conservative government there. Yeah, so on top of you know, three pretty successful elections, uh, the Greens have actually been fundraising like crazy, too. They've raised almost $800,000 from nearly 10,000 individual contributors in just the first three months of this year. That is the party's best first quarter fundraising haul on record, and it's way up from last year. I actually think they're going to have money in the bank for maybe one of the first elections in, in their history. To be fair, fundraising in this country is not that hard, apparently, because Maxine Bernier managed to pull in about $750,000 in the first quarter as well, but eh, still good for the Greens. Yeah, it's good for them. But I mean, I, I'm going to dunk a little bit of cold water on this because I mean, when the Maxine Bernier's People Party, which as far as I can tell, a van- still a vanity project, manages to pull in as much money as you. <laughs> you know, how, how many years has Elizabeth May been in power now? Since like, what, 2006? Um, and basically, she's still pulling in the same amount of money as like Maxine Bernier, who basically decided to run a party out of the side of his minivan, you know, a couple of months ago. So I mean, like this, this is good for the Greens, and it's showing some momentum from them. But I don't think that we should be reading too much into it. And the question I have for you, Justin, Oracle, notable predictor, successful predictor of political outcomes, are the Greens actually ascendant here? Or is what we're seeing an actual three way split on the left? Because I've seen some pollsters suggest that, that an emerging Green support up to about 16%, All that really does is it takes support away from the Liberals and the NDP and gets us into a position where the Liberals are looking at potentially a minority government, if not an outright loss. Once their support gets over 16%, that seems to be like the magic hump for the math people, then they start taking support away from the Conservatives too. And now we have them like really serving potentially as a balance of power in a federal parliament. So listen, yeah, I I think you have it mostly right. I don't think the Greens are about to form majority government across the country. I think what you're seeing, though, is that the Greens have actually managed to sort of focus and hone their support in certain parts of the country. um, And just dissatisfaction with the liberal government is is translating to votes for them. I think it it will result in a two or three way split in a bunch of ridings. But I only think it's certain parts of the country. I don't think it's going to kneecap Trudeau across the country. Like, I do not see the Greens doing well in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. I don't see them really doing especially well in most of Ontario. That being said, they're going to command a whole bunch of support around Vancouver, Victoria, and along the coast of BC. They could pick up seats where they've shown strength provincially in Ontario, places like Guelph, maybe downtown Toronto, potentially around Ottawa. And I think they're going to do well in Atlantic Canada. I think that's unavoidable. I think that's interesting because it's a hardcore liberal base that just are not attracted to the NDP right now, have very little interest in flipping to Andrew Scheer and want something different. They took Trudeau's four years in power very personally and they're frustrated by him. And I think you're going to see the Greens do well Federally in PEI in one or two ridings, potentially around St. John or Fredericton, maybe around Halifax, who knows, other parts of, of Nova Scotia, and, and potentially in Newfoundland. They just had an election, but there were no Green Party running. So it's hard to even gauge how much support they might have in that province. It's interesting to me, too, is that I almost read like the, the rise in the NDP. Not only does it bode fairly poorly for the Liberal Party, who I think have turned off a lot of progressive voters, but to me, who it really spells bad news for is the NDP. I mean, yes and no. We saw that in BC. I think it does mean the NDP lose seats in BC. You know, Nanaimo Ladysmith was a New Democrat. Good writing. It wasn't a stronghold. It was good writing for them. They shed 10 points in that election and came third behind the Conservatives. The Conservatives held their vote. The NDP and Liberals collapsed and the Greens surged. I think that's the thing you're going to see repeat itself throughout BC. And that's terrible news for the NDP. But the other thing, too, is that weighing that against this, I'm looking at the NDP and it almost reminds me of sort of analogous to what we saw with the Alberta party in Alberta. You know, you had people who were kind of center, center left, who weren't really super thrilled by either the NDP or the United Conservative Party 
for whatever reason. They managed to get, I think, 11% of the popular vote when all was said and done, but they couldn't actually translate it into a single seat because their vote efficiency was so poor. So like the Greens polling 10% across the country isn't necessarily a good metric for them. I think at the end of the day, like we've not seen them really go past 10 or 11%. Like you said earlier, like they really have to get to around 16 before they start translating into huge numbers. But 10 or 11%, if it's really concentrated in uh, British Columbia, parts of Ontario and Atlantic Canada, you actually could see them get a dozen or more seats. Like it, it is possible. And, and I think this is the thing you have to watch for. Can they start flipping people in Quebec? Hmm. Elizabeth May does not poll super well in Quebec. If she can find somebody competent and, and likable to run with her in that province and be kind of the Quebec lieutenant or maybe the co-leader, as I, you know, the idea I've suggested before, uh, and one that she seems open to, I actually think you could see them uh, pick up seats around Montreal and potentially elsewhere. I mean, Quebecers seem also interested in finding another party for their affection, and it could be the Greens. Okay, so here's where I have to start, like, really poking holes in this theory, because, like, Elizabeth May has done things recently and in the, in the past that I think warrant some scrutiny if she's actually going to be leading a serious party as opposed to like being the honey badger voice of conscience. Um, which, by the way, I really like it when Elizabeth May is the honey badger voice of conscience. That's absolutely fine. But it's totally easy to be that person when you are like the head of a fringe party. And it's another thing altogether when you could be heading up, you know, as you're suggesting, yeah. a 10-12 caucus party that could be holding the balance of power in a minority situation. You know what, I, I will say, the one thing I do hate in this country is that whenever we actually have a leader who is actually just honest and blunt, even if that means I'm saying something stupid, we jump on them. And, and I kind of like that she just speaks like a regular human being. I do find that refreshing. I am so tired of hearing the other leaders sound like they're just like running on a script. Like, And I know that that sounds like some you know very facile political commentary, but genuinely, I'm so tired of listening to them because they are scripted to the point of absolute milquetoast blandness. And actually, she actually just speaks earnestly. I actually like that, even if she does often say dumb things. The other thing I want to say is like Elizabeth May has sort of also trotted out this like 20 point climate change proposal. And I kind of want to rant about it a little bit because there's some good stuff in here. But there's also mm -hmm. some stuff that's incredibly vague or misleading or just sort of like not well thought out, in my opinion. You know, first part, she's sort of presenting herself as the nonpartisan, you know, purveyor of climate change. And like, hey, you can come to us and we will turn this into like a World War II like pan-partisan effort to sort of deal with climate change. But then she does that. But then with the next breath, then engages in like vicious partisan politics and nobody ever seems to call her on it. So like, yeah. like it just sort of just undermines her own self-branding when I think when she engages in this. But then there's also other sorts of stuff that kind of bother me about. Well, so let's let's run it down really quickly. Let's run down what she's actually yeah. promising, right? So she, sure. she's calling it Mission Possible. And there's, that's like a 20 point plan because, you know, everyone loves 20 point plans. We don't have to go through all of it, but basically the long short is, you know, she's going to declare a climate emergency. She's going to set up this kind of like, you know, cross party committee of, of politicians to take action. You know, she'll up our CO2 emissions targets. And then there's an entire plank that's called assume leadership, which means fucking nothing. Um, and then respect evidence is in another plank. But basically a lot of this is, is more or less status quo. You know, it's the elite manifesto is what it is. Like, like, I don't even is... think it's that, it's not even that bold. I actually don't even think it's that aggressive. It's not that I, I find it too not bold. What I actually find it is it's, and I think Nathan Cullen made this point. I think he's spot on. By the way, I'm increasingly liking Nathan Cullen. It's just vague. Like, like I'm sorry, it's it's all fine and good to say, look, we're going to create massive infrastructure for uh, green cars across the country. Okay, have you spent 30 seconds looking into what kind of project that is actually going to be and the degree to which it's going to hugely increase demand for electricity on the energy grid? And how are you going to do that 
if you are not willing to consider nuclear option as a, as a viable alternative. Right. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. this is one of my big beefs with a lot of people on the 100%. left when they talk about climate change, because they're like, look, climate change is a major thing that's going to end all human civilization if we don't act now, but we're not going to consider nuclear power. Like, those two positions are fundamentally not aligned, because the worst 100%. case scenario of a nuclear power explosion is still better than, you know, the entire human civilization collapsing. And actually, you know, like, the, you know the only politicians in this country kind of actually talking thoughtfully about nuclear? This is the conservative party uh yeah. in the last leadership election multiple candidates actually really weirdly like i'm not sure if they like were you know getting lobbied aggressively by some nuclear company but there were there were several candidates who were talking aggressively about massive investments in nuclear power and i actually thought that was a pretty bold strategy i was quite fond of it but overall you know, like, listen like i'm growing a little bit fond of elizabeth may i i do like that we just have another party because i'm just so fed up with you know the mainstay parties that said this climate manifesto it's it's not amazing it's not inspiring no. i mean mostly it, it, it's banning fracking meh that actually i don't it's not going to significantly fracking is not going to it's not the significant contributor exactly keep carbon pricing you know there's a, there's a handful of things here like green the grid which people have been talking about for decades and which ultimately doesn't mean all that much and is mostly a pipe dream I'm sorry as she's talking about like hey we need to do more refining at home i could literally devote an entire show ranting and yelling into yeah. this microphone about no the problems sense. about doing more refining at home and how it actually might make less environmental sense to refine 100%. more product at home as opposed to refining it into large refineries that can do this more efficiently and ship the product back to us. But essentially, it also creates all kinds of potential constitutional problems because if you're basically forcing Alberta to sell its oil to Canadians and Canadians only, you're opening up all kinds of constitutional potential problems. And then in addition to that, if you want to have more of a, of a juice state sort of refining culture, Culture, you're going to need to build more, more pipelines still. So it's like everything about this starts yeah. to fall apart if you start to poke at it even a tiny little bit. And that's true for a lot of the green platform. You know, I've spent some time hectoring the greens about some some bizarre things in their platform. They have an official policy on population control, which still I just find so obscene that the Green Party wants to form government and then dictate mostly to uh, countries in Africa and, and the global south how many babies they should be putting out a year. Completely oh. unacceptable. The Green Party also has a history, a very recent history, of flirting with a lot of fringy ideas. Like That's right. uh, Monsanto is evil. Uh, the corporate GMOs food production is banned. evil. GMOs need to be banned. Wi-Fi is dangerous. And this is the problem that I fundamentally have with the way the media treats the, the Green Party is that we kind of, again, treat them as like the honey badger voice of conscience. And like, this is all great. And she's so eloquent. And she's finally saying the things that need to be said. And she gets a goddamn pass because everyone knows that she's not going to hold power. So she can be that voice. When, when she's got one or two seats in, in the parliament, I've got no problem with her getting that easy ride. But like when she actually could potentially hold the balance of power, we have to be a little bit more critical about things like these climate change policies she's putting forward, because now these things can actually fundamentally make it into policy books. And up until now, I think that to be blunt, the media has been utterly kind to her. Um, one other thing that I just want to like note, just a quick thing to note, and that is uh, Robert Jago did this uh, really interesting column for the Taiyi about the uh, Green Party's sort of half-baked uh, First Nations and Indigenous section of their platform and the failings and the, and the failures and the, just the lack of sort of specificity in a lot of it and the fact that some of it seems to contradict. Uh, it's absolutely worth checking out. Hopefully we can tweet out the link to it. You know what? I think we should give Elizabeth May a chance. So Jen, I think right here, right now, we should extend the invitation. Oh, God, yes. Elizabeth May, you're invited on Oppo. 100%. Please come on Oppo. That'd be absolutely great. For the other leaders, we'll think about inviting you soon. Trudeau, eh, Sheer, just, just wait by the phone.
Lastly, this week, you may not have even noticed, but Canada's easternmost province had an election. The Rock, Terra Nova, the big land, the land of cotton honey, the only province to ban Jesse Brown. And well-deserved. <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador, quite surprisingly, decided to keep in uh, incumbent Liberal Premier Dwight Ball. He had called a snap election, and I can tell you, people do not like this guy. He is sort of like an old-timey movie version of Justin Trudeau, and people are not fond of him. Also, people uh, yet- just hate snap elections. You'd think that this is oh, a lesson that. that like politicians in this country would figure out, that like every single time you call an early election, you lose. But actually, it kind of paid off. I mean, people had him down to go uh, get swept from office, uh, and in the end, the PCs came up short. The Liberals got 20 seats, which is exactly half of the legislature. The PCs got 15 seats. And actually, the NDP did surprisingly well. They won three seats, two in St. John's and one in Labrador, of all places. And there was two independents, which actually gives me hope that uh, it is possible to run as an independent in this country and win. Both were you know, former politicians in their own right. But either way, it's quite interesting on a couple of fronts. I mean, one, I think it shows that there's limitations to this conservative wave that's supposedly cresting over the provinces. You know, That being said, Chess Crosby is not Andrew Scheer. The progressive conservatives out east are a very different flavor than the federal conservatives. Uh, which is why I found it hilarious that the conservatives tried to claim a victory in PEI, even though the new premier designate is, is different as imaginable as Andrew Scheer. All this to say is that actually, I, I think this this should be really encouraging for the liberals. It goes to show that you can be a deeply unpopular liberal incumbent uh, and still eco to victory. Let's still get a minority government. Well yeah. done. Aim high. <laughs> There is one note that is worth underscoring, and it's that you know, part of the election was kind of fought over the uh, Muskrat Falls project. If you're familiar, it's this giant hydroelectric expansion they're doing uh, around the Churchill Falls region. It has gone wildly over budget to the tune of about $6 billion, and this is underwritten by a bunch of federal money. It's interesting because you know I think it's just another chapter in, in uh, how badly we are as a country in doing big infrastructure projects and how little we seem to care as a country. I mean, this is potentially one of the most transformative energy projects that has gone down in the last 15, 20 years. And there's really no national attention at all being paid to this. And it should be a cautionary tale for Site C out in British Columbia, because basically we did seem incapable of actually building anything on time or on budget. Uh, and yet no one seems to give a shit. So that's fun. Sorry, Justin, I was just picturing you saying all that against a bland gray backdrop <laughs> with like your name. Justin Ling, co-host of Oppo. Cut us <laughs> some stock footage. That would be a great one-woman show. Just me complaining <laughs> about massive hydroelectric projects. I just hit. Also worth noting is that they're very, very bad for the indigenous people who live nearby. That should go without saying the Inuit and Inuit in Labrador are being royally fucked over by the project. This whole thing is frustrating because I actually am really fond of big projects like this. I mean, these could be ways we can generate clean energy for the foreseeable future. It's very disappointing that we seem so incapable of doing them properly. These are the sorts of projects we actually need and need to move forward and move forward successfully if we're going to come close to hitting these climate change projects. These are the sorts of things that Canada needs to start being able to do really, really well if we want to contribute to climate change. Because, you know, at the end of the day, even if we do cut all of our emissions to what Elizabeth May would want us to cut them to, it's not going to make the difference. The different place where Canada can make the difference is actually in electricity generation, innovation, technology, doing all of those sorts of interesting and good things and dealing with mitigation technologies and impacts. Like that's actually our strength as a country, the size that we are. And like, Muskrat Falls should be a model for that. And unfortunately, it's not. But uh, on a later note, there are two stories from this election that I absolutely love. Uh, one is that the PC campaign uh, pitched a program called Pot for Potholes after one of their candidates fell in a pothole. <laughs> and that is a true story. <laughs> I fucking love Newfoundland, man. These people are great. And Labrador. You have to love both. Oh, 
Okay. And one final note uh, is that Ontario Proud's Newfoundland cousin tried and failed to influence the election through their own brand of shitty meme pages, uh, which I think is heartening for uh, the health of our democracy. Well, that's it for Oppo. That's my line, Jen. I did. I stole it from you. What are you going to do about it? Eh. We'll be back in two weeks. Commons continues their look at Canada's oil industry next week. Get in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast to let us know what you think, but only nice things. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Canada Land Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton and the theme music was by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week and that word is muskrat. Thank you.